Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to The Appearance of the Likeness of Glory by Rev. Peter Yonker. Before we open God's Word together, let's ask for a blessing on our meditation. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Mold us and make us. Open our minds, open our hearts. By your Spirit, open your Word so that some of its richness and some of its truth and some of its joy and all of its hope may be planted deep within us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Our scripture reading is from the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole first chapter, which is one long vision and one long passage, but you really want to read the whole thing together. So we'll read it together. In my 30th year, the fourth month on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kibar River in the land of, ba- of the Babylonians. And there the hand of the Lord was on him. I looked. And I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud was flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet were like those of a calf, and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under the wings on the four sides, they had human hands, and all four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead, and they did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, on the left, the face of an ox, and they each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And they each had two wings spreading upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals or fire or like torches. And fire moved back and forth among the creatures, which was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. And this was the appearance and the structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel, and as they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all round. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose. And wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and all the wheels would rise along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. 
When all, the creatures moved, they also moved. And when the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was something that looked like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out, one towards the other, and each had two wings covering its body. And when the creatures moved, I heard the sound of the ring, their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. And when they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the vault, over their heads, as they stood with lowered rings. Of the vault, above the vault, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above on the throne was the figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to explain deep spiritual feelings, deep spiritual emotions to another human being? All of us who are Christians have moments in our lives that are special spiritually, part of our spiritual story. And they're not conversion experiences exactly, but maybe they're moments where we felt close to God, where God moved in our life, where we felt the Spirit's presence or the Spirit's peace. All of us, I think, have, have, have moments like that once in a while. Not very often, but once in a while. Have you ever noticed, if you've had a moment like that, how hard it is to explain that moment to another human being, how your words can't seem to do justice to what you feel and what happened? I think that's at least one of the reasons that so many Christians have such a hard time talking about faith. When I was a young person, and frankly, when I got older too, I was made to feel guilty uh, for not sharing my faith, for not talking about my faith enough. Why don't you Christian Reformed people talk more about your faith? And when I was older, I took up that call. I've, I've guilted many a congregation with the same words. And it's right, of course, we are all supposed to, to give account for the hope that's in us. We're supposed to talk about our faith, but it's really, really hard because these deep things, these deep feelings are so hard to put into words. I think of how hard it is for me, a professional talker, to explain to others even the simple events in my own life that were spiritually important to me. One of those, say, when I was 17. When I was 17, a spiritually important event for me is uh, I was with some other kids from my youth group we went over to one of the members of the youth group apartment. This is an older person who was at a, at a high school living in his own apartment. And we were all just talking. And some of the girls had just been to Young Calvinist Convention, and they started talking about Young Calvinist Convention and just how great it was and how much it meant to them. And they started talking about how much they loved their, their small groups and how they all prayed for each other and, and how the Spirit of God was there in that place. And as they talked, 
They were just, there was a sort of a radiance, a sort of a joy in them. And I felt uplifted by that joy. And later, as I was driving home, I felt this sort of deep sense of, of God's presence. What exactly did they say in that conversation in that apartment? I don't actually remember. What was it that they said that actually lifted me up? I, I'm not sure I can put that into words. It's not a great story. But it's my story, and it's so important to me. And yet, as I tell it to you, I feel the poverty of the words, those words that I just laid out there. They cannot possibly express what actually happened in that apartment on that day for me. This is a universal experience. Some secular person at your office comes up to you and says, can you explain to me why you, why you follow Jesus? I don't understand the whole Jesus thing. And you say, mm, uh, uh, and you find yourself slipping into cliches. In his famous vision, I think Ezekiel is feeling the difficulty of explaining his deep spiritual experience. Ezekiel's a prophet. He lives in Babylon during the time of the exile. He's sitting by the Kibar River there, and he has this amazing vision of God's presence, and he's called to bring it to God's people. But you can hear him struggling to put into words what he's just seen. Just as evidence of that, I just read through the whole passage. I tried to read it well. If I were to stop you at the door and say, okay, tell me, can you repeat for me in your own words what Ezekiel saw? I think most of you would struggle mightily. It took me about four or five readings before I could sort of, in my own mind, start to form a picture of this spectacular thing. So hard to put into words. Starts with a windstorm. There's a great windstorm and then a cloud emerges, and in the middle of this cloud is molten fire, and around the edge is fire and lightning. And then out of this cloud comes four living creatures, and each of these creatures has four wings and four faces. A human face, a lion face, an eagle face, an ox face. And two of the wings are upraised, and so they're all touching the wings of the others, and the two wings, they're covering themselves. And fire and lightning move back and forth between these creatures, and they zip around. But they don't zip around by themselves. With them are these, these wheels, these enormous wheels that are like topaz, and they're not just wheels, they're sort of intersecting, and around the wheels on the rims are strangely eyes. Above the wheels and the creatures is spread this canopy. It's like ice or like crystal. And as Ezekiel looks up above the ice and the crystal, he sees this throne, which is blue, like lapis lazuli. And on this throne, he sees a being, which is part fire and part lightning and part rainbow. That's Ezekiel's strange and wonderful vision of God, or rather... Ezekiel's attempt to explain his strange and wonderful vision of God. Did you notice in the language that he uses that even as he explains it, Ezekiel realizes that he's not getting it across the way he wants because he's constantly using qualifiers. Probably the most common word in this entire passage is the word like. I saw what looked 
like four living creatures. And they kind of looked like glowing metal. And I saw what appeared to be wheels intersecting wheels. Here's just a little quote from verse 26 on that shows you some of how many qualifiers he uses. Listen to this. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And on the throne was a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And from there down, he looked like fire. If you read verses 26 or 28, there are no less than 10 qualifiers just in those three verses. Ezekiel is struggling to get across exactly what he means to say. Words are inadequate. And then, after that long vision comes to an end, there's the ultimate qualifier in verse 28. What did Ezekiel see? Was it God? No. It was not the Lord. It was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. It was not the Lord. It was not the appearance of the Lord. It was not the appearance of the likeness of the Lord. It was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. There are four degrees of separation between what Ezekiel saw and the true glory of the Lord. And even that was enough for Ezekiel to fall down on his face. Verse 28 has to be one of the most remarkable verses in all of Scripture when it comes to the holiness of God. We cannot capture our Lord in words. We try because words are what we have. Words are what we use to communicate with one another, and words are what we are called to use to communicate God to one another and what we feel to one another. But we cannot possibly hope to capture him with those crude instruments. But we must. And so we write our theologies and we write our sermons and we write hymns and we sing hymns and we write poetry and we try to capture this hope that is within us and express it to others. But I'm quite sure that the very best of our words are just a glimpse of the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. If you go to Calvin University, there are something like a million volumes in Calvin's library, and 200,000 of them are devoted to theology. Somebody sat down and thought really hard and wrote a book to try to express some aspect of Christ and his church and his history. If you took all those books together, all 200,000 of them, and memorized them, I'm very sure that what you would have at that point is only a glimpse of the appearance, of the likeness, of the glory of the Lord. Do you remember the end of the book of John? Do you remember how John ends? John tells all his stories of Jesus. He tells them very well. He writes this great gospel. And at the end, he says this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. You can hear John saying, I've tried to show you who Jesus is, but I, I still feel like there's more. I know there's more, and I, but this is all I can, this is the best I can do. 
the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Who is God? You think you know? You think you got him pinned down? Don't count on it. When I read verse 28, I think of a story that Barbara Brown Taylor told about her own coming to the Lord. Barbara Brown Taylor is a um, great Episcopal priest, preacher. When she was a young kid, when she was coming up through adolescence, her parents kept her away from religion, and so she was pretty secularized, and she went off to a secular university. And one day in her first year at that secular university, she was in her dorm room, and there was a knock at her door, and she opened it, and there were uh, two, as she describes them, prim girls in sensible shoes, clutching Bibles to their chests. They said to her, the Holy Spirit has sent us. And before she could respond, they sort of barged into a room and sat on the bed. And predictably, they asked her, are you saved? And she said, well, it all depends on how you understand the nature. And then they said, that answers our question. They put down no. And then they said, would you like to be saved? And because that's not a question you say no to, and also because at this point she was kind of just curious to see, you know, she sort of a cynical curiosity about where is this all going? She said, sure. So they took out a piece of paper, they drew a stick figure on one side, stick figure on the other, big old gap in the middle, put God by one stick figure, her by name by the other stick figure, and sin in the gap. Right now, you're separated from God by this big gap of sin. Would you like to know how to get across it? They said. Sure, she said. And they drew a cross, put the name of Jesus by the cross, and they said, you have to accept Jesus. Pray this prayer with us. Sure, she said. Partly because she just wanted to see how this would go, and partly because she just wanted to get him out of her room. And they prayed this prayer. I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and I ask him to come into my life. Amen. The girls got up, gave her a hug, gave her a Bible study schedule, walked out of the, the dorm. It had taken 20 minutes at most, and, and she never saw them again. Now, from all my learned study, this is about as bad as evangelism gets, okay? Right? It, how to do evangelism... Every, everyone would say, you can ask Mike if you don't believe me, this is not how you do it. There's no relationship. There's no follow-up. You want to connect them with the church. You want to know them personally. This is just bad evangelism. This is the worst. And yet, despite what I think I know, something happened to Barbara Brown Taylor that afternoon. She said, despite her cynicism and what she expected, she walked outside and the whole world looked different. People's faces looked different. The ground felt spongy under her feet, and her face was burning for over an hour. Here's what she writes. Was it a conversion? All I know is that something happened, something got my attention, and it has kept my attention through all these years that have passed since then. I may have been fooling around, but God was not. You can't predict with this God. 
You think you know how he works. You think you know what works and what doesn't work. You think you know what words are going to work and what don't. You cannot predict him. I am who I am. I will be who I will be, he says. And this, of course, was the problem with the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees thought they had God surrounded. They thought he had him pinned down. They had their lists. They had their rules. They knew exactly who he was. And so when Jesus came along as the Son of God and started to preach in words that didn't fit their lists, they rejected him. And when he persisted, they didn't just reject him. They nailed him down. But he got loose because you can't nail down Jesus. He's been at loose ever since, breaking down walls, defying expectations, changing lives, changing hearts, lifting up the humble, bringing down the proud. Since then, he's been doing more than we can ask or imagine and more than words can describe. I often wish that I had better words so that when I go to the, the bedside of someone who needs comfort in the hospital, that I could say something and comfort would just flow into their life. Or if I go to meet with a teenager who's feeling distant from God and removed from the church, I could say something that would just make God vivid to them. Or that I could go to a person who is utterly perplexed by what's going on in her life and say a couple things and they would understand. And I'm not wordless. I have this book. I have the word. I'm not wordless. But most of the time after I finish my words and put them out there, I feel like my words are scarcely better than the words of those two girls who were in Barbara Brown Taylor's dorm room that day. But that turns me back and turns all of us back to the place where our help comes from. My hope is not in the words that I speak. My hope is in the word that spoke me. I may not be able to pin down and control and take hold of God with my words, but by his word, he has taken hold and pinned down and controlled me. The good news is that that fiery being that Ezekiel saw that was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God has become the baby in the manger, the word made flesh. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And he has come to us to take hold of us and to take hold of his world, to change it and to never let it go. So go out into the world this week and speak your words your small, imperfect words, and know that he will use them to accomplish his perfect will. Amen. Holy God, we praise your name. When we're at home and looking at our to-do lists, we think that it's all up to us. When we open your word and read Ezekiel, we realize that we are small and that it is really up to you, and that you have already done it. We praise you for this glorious truth. Teach us to live in its grip. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.